Thank you, Matt. Have you heard about the rise of the nuns? If you're like me, you may be wondering who these nuns are and how do they rise? The nuns are actually, you may, yeah, you may be thinking of the flying nun if you're old enough to remember the TV show. Uh, but if, if you're like me, you're wondering who all these nuns are that people on TV and the, and the news reports and everything else are talking about. The nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are actually the people in surveys and in polls who check the box, none. Or when asked the question, they say, none, about their religious affiliation. Pollsters and sociologists tell us that more and more people are checking that box, hence the rise in their number. In fact, there was a book by James Emery White titled The Rise of the Nuns, and then there's another one that's just called The Nuns by Ryan Berg, and they explore this and try to get at the bottom of this and why all of these people are no longer considering themselves to be a part of a religious group. So when nuns are asked why they no longer are a part of a religion, their answer usually has something to do with them no longer seeing that religions and religious people do anything to make the world better. In fact, some of them may say that uh, religious people are making the world worse. They see that they are not seeing any religion that is true for them. I think they're also saying they're still spiritual, that many of them still say, yes, I believe in God, but just want nothing to do with organized religion. And the joke here is always, oh, you're welcome to come to church for the Highlands because we're anything but organized in anything that we do. And the book we're reading right now about looking for God in messy places we're that. I mean, we are a messy place, so uh, we're looking for God here. More about the book later. It's a wonderful book. But that's pretty telling, isn't it? That they are not seeing that they can connect with religion any longer. As religious people, we must look at ourselves, our churches, and our institutions and consider how that can change. How we can have true religion. So what is true religion? And how do we put it into practice if we ever discover what it really is? As we've heard in the epistle of James this morning, and James is just chock full of wisdom, right? There's so much wisdom that is here. It's a short little book, yet packed with so much truth. And as we've heard, James writes, or the author of James writes, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So James says that we are to be doers of that kind of religion. We are to do for the orphans in our community and for those who are widows or widowers and in need, who are in distress. That's it. There you go. There's your answer, right? It's as simple as that. So how do we do that religion 
Maybe it's not so easy at times when we get convoluted with a lot of other things in our lives. Well, first, uh, by being stain-free. That's what he says. Don't be stained by the world. James writes that true religion involves keeping oneself unstained by the world. James was aware that there were people in the church whose lives had been shaped more by the world around them than by God. And this happens everywhere, right? Uh, We can all get stained. We can all get swept up in something and lose our sense of identity. And so James is warning them about that. They were living according to a worldly agenda around them rather than God's agenda for the world. So much so that their religion had become worthless, he says. Instead of making a difference in their world, they were spending their time slandering one another. Now, I know it's difficult for you to think that in a church setting, anyone could slander another person. Right? No. I see some of you chuckling behind your masks. You've been in churches just like I've been in churches where if you really want to get up, get caught up on the gossip, you go to church, right? That's where all the good stuff's being spread. People are talking about one another. People are fighting over one another. Even the color of the carpet. By the way, if you look around in here, you'll see that this carpet's been here a long time. And I think the reason it's been here a long time is that the the church that was here and built this church years ago and left years ago probably fought over the color of the carpet or when it was time to change the carpet. And this is not uncommon uh, in churches all across the nation, if not world. People in churches sometimes get crossways with one another and terrible things happen. And so James is writing to them to address this and and to say you're spending all your time doing this and you're being selfish with what God had given them to do. Living hypocritical lives. Doesn't Jesus point out hypocrisy in the Gospel we heard read earlier? And He's saying you're busy doing all these outward things, but yet your heart is not right with God. Be sure to get your heart right with God and then you can think about all those other things. Their religion, as James is pointing out, he's saying uh, their way of practicing their religion was worthless. James here isn't indicating that Judaism, or of course uh, their practice uh, at that time, we don't have the word Judaism uh, there in the text, uh, but he, he was Jewish, or whoever the author was, was Jewish, writing to a very Jewish audience. So he's not saying that their religion is worthless, but their practice uh, of religion within their community. And he wasn't saying that Christianity, or again, they didn't use that word, but followers of Jesus were not worthless, or any other religion was worthless. He's just saying that their religion of hearing what God wanted them to do and be, and then not doing what God wanted them to do was worthless. Instead of exhibiting the purity of God in their lives, they were a church marked with a giant stain. And probably people in their community were pointing out that stain to say, you want us to come and follow Jesus, but look at you. 
You're not following the Jesus that we've heard about. That's nothing like the Jesus we've heard about. Well, no one likes a stain, do they? Most of us will take whatever measures necessary to remove one. In fact, I bought some stain guard or uh, wash and spray, whatever it is, yesterday at the store because I had a big uh, grease stain from something I was eating uh, and I loved it so much it got on my shirt and I couldn't get it out. So I had to go to the store, buy some spray and wash and spray it on there and, and get that off. Uh, and we'll do whatever it takes to remove a stain or maybe uh, something that's on a brand new couch. If you want to get a stain, go get yourself a brand new white couch and it will happen. Or on your carpet, you'll rub that stain out of the carpet. A stain ruins the view or the image, becoming the focal point to the detriment of what else is there that we want people to see. As people look at the church of today, I think this is a part of the problem, is it not? They see the stain of the world upon it as the church, especially in its various expressions throughout our nation, has been shaped more by the world's agenda than the words and the will of God. Christian nationalism in our nation is but one example of this. The enticements of political power, of money, and influence have led many churches to go astray and forego their mission and put a big old stain on them that's hard to rub out. It's going to take years to rub out this stain. As a church surrounded by those worldly enticements, we must pay attention to James's warning and to keep ourselves stain free. Well, the second way that we do our religion is by helping people in need. So the first one is stay away from the stain. The second is do your religion by helping people in need. James was quite clear about that, writing that true religion is to care for orphans and widows in their distress. These were the ones who were the most vulnerable in their society. That no one would uh, be there to care for them, to take care of them. And to be one uh, would mean that you would really uh, struggle for your existence. And the church James writes to was to put their faith into practice to take care of them, do something for them, he says. If James were to write his epistle to the church of today, specifically our church, who would he list as the neediest in our midst? Think about that for a minute. Who would be those that he would point out and, and, and add into his list? Well, since our church focuses its mission on the Highland neighborhood, that's in our purpose statement, it's been there for these last 11 years, then we should be familiar with the people who are in need within it. And what we have learned in these last 11 years is that there is a lot of poverty right here in our neighborhood. That of a group of people termed as Alice. Asset limited, by the way, Alice is an acronym. Asset limited, income constrained, employed. Or also referred to sometimes as working poor. They make up 
of the population in our parish. Many of them have children who make up the 38% of children under 18 living in poverty in our city. These numbers are based on, I don't believe, the most recent census, uh, but the one right before that. So we need to update with the 2020 census, and I hope to get those numbers soon. Uh, So lots of poverty, working poor poverty, right here in our neighborhood. There is also a high number of elderly people, many of whom are also widows or widowers. And there are formerly incarcerated people who are unable to find housing or jobs because of their designation as felons. And so we we expect them to go work and to find a job and a place to live and to get back into society, and yet we won't allow them to do that because we keep this mark or stain upon them to say, well, if you're a felon, then you can't do this. And so we're not enabling them to get past where they were. And they, many of them end up going right back into prison. We also have immigrants living in Highland, even some who pass through here, through our building, just for a short time. Many veterans live around us here too, in housing provided by Volunteers of America and other agencies. And in addition to these, there are now many homeless residents in Highland due to the pandemic and the evictions it has caused. We see these uh, people who come to the meal or come to the closets, and they still live here in Highland. They still consider themselves to be residents of Highland, but they are no longer able to live in their homes. And they don't really fit that mold that we usually have for people who are homeless, living downtown or in a homeless camp. But they're displaced from their homes, maybe homes they've lived in for a long time. Well, how do we become doers of our religion to help them? Well, as I look out at you today, I already see doers. Go ahead and look around at each other this morning and just call somebody a doer. It's okay. Say, hey, doer. What I would like to say to you is thank you for all that you do. And how can we keep on doing? Or how can we do better what we are already doing? What are we doing now that could be done in a, in a better way or maybe that we don't need to do any longer? It's okay sometimes to say, well, we've done that for years, but there's really not much of a need for us to do that anymore. What else do we need to be doing? What new orphans and widows in distress are there that we are not helping? What are the ways that each of us can commit to being better doers and not just hearers in our own personal lives and walk with Christ? Well, I don't expect answers here this morning. But they are good questions for us to ask as we get ready to mark our anniversary next month. And as we look ahead together at what more God has for us to do and who to be in years ahead. I'm hopeful that as we focus on the doing of our religion, our neighborhood and world will be better for it. And maybe, just maybe, those nuns will quit rising. Let's pray.